good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see us. Good to be in church today, isn't it? What a blessing to be here. For the past few weeks here at Crossroads, we've been wrestling with this question. Uh, How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's will for my life? According to the uh, CDC, and you can take that uh, for however you want, but uh, (laughs) okay, stay focused, (laughs) stay focused. The average life expectancy in the United States is about 76 years of age. That's that's their latest stats. So on average, uh, most of us are going to get around 76 years to walk on this planet and do something with this gift of life that we have received from our Heavenly Father. And I know if you're in church on Sunday morning, then you're a person who has given some deep thought to how you are going to steward this life. I think God builds that into our spiritual DNA. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says that God has actually put or placed eternity in our hearts. Christians, followers of Christ, are people who live with an understanding that this life is short and we need to use it for the glory of God. Therefore, we ask ourselves questions like these, you know, why am I here and What is my purpose and what is God's plan for me? How do I walk in his will? Those questions help us clarify our goals, our dreams. They help us clarify our activities and what we do with our lives. They're good questions to ask. And so for the past few weeks, we have been exploring those questions in this little short book, the book of Ruth, found in the Old Testament of our Bibles. What I love about Ruth's life is is that Ruth is not a celebrity, okay? In her day, she's not famous. She's common. She is very common. Ruth has not been born into royalty. She does no miracles. There's really nothing spectacular about her life. Yet as we read her story, we can plainly see how the hand of the Almighty God was directing her steps. And and as I read about her steps, it gives me some hope that God can direct our steps as well. So we're going to continue this journey into this great book. And today we're going to look at two more keys at walking in the will of God. And they are character and availability. Two more keys that we're kind of adding to our tool bag here over week by week. And the, the keys we're going to look at today are character and availability. If we're going to walk in the will of God, we have to be people of high character, and then we have to make ourselves available for his use. Let's go to the Bible. Ruth 3 in verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. You might remember from last week that Ruth and Naomi had arrived in Bethlehem during a time of harvest. And so now Boaz has got all of his crops together and they're at the threshing floor and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. And and Naomi knows he's going to be there, knows he's going to be working late, knows he's going to be staying over there. And verse 3, she says to Ruth, therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Verse 5, and she, Ruth, said to Naomi, 
All that you say to me, I will do. First thing I want to talk to you about today is Ruth's character. Again, as we pick up on her story, we'll remember that she is a widow with a difficult past. She was born with no privilege. Her people were a product of incest. Her husband died young. She's been living in poverty, and her days are literally spent working for leftovers in someone else's field. There was not much that Ruth had control over in her life. She couldn't control where she was born. She couldn't control what family she was born into. She didn't decide to become a widow. And in her day, she has very little control over her own financial situation. Ruth does not get to control much except her character. She doesn't get to decide what happens to her. She doesn't get to decide her circumstances, but she does get to choose her moral character. And for you and I, there are lots of things in our lives that are out of our control. Can you say amen? It's just lots of things that you and I, we don't get to choose. We don't, we don't get to choose everything in our life. We don't get to control everything in our life. But you know what we can choose? <laughs> we can choose who we are on the inside. No one else gets to choose that for us. And a couple of things that stand out to me about Ruth's character are this. Number one, Ruth is teachable. She's teachable. Ruth has a godly mentor in her life in the form of her mother-in-law, and she willingly submits herself to Naomi's guidance. Friends, one of the greatest keys to help discern the will of God in your life will be a godly mentor. I I figured we would get zero amens. (laughs) We had a baby do something. I don't even know what that is. One of the keys (laughs) to helping to discern the will of God in your life will be a godly mentor. Aha, better. You didn't mean it, but you did it. So (laughs) I'll take it. I think our generation has suffered much because we refuse to acknowledge the importance of mentorship. Recently, I had someone interview me for a college project they were doing about why many people don't stay planted in a church and they move from church to church to church. And one of the reasons I gave this young man is because people do not like to receive instruction. And as soon as a leader or, or even a brother or sister up here gives some instruction, many people say, you know what, I don't, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be anymore. I think, I think God's called me somewhere else. And what we do is we pack up our Bible and our toys and we move on down the road. And here's, and here's what we do. We just repeat that pattern over and over again. And it doesn't happen just in the church. It happens in life. Right? People go from job to job and relationship into relationship and friendship to friendship because anytime we, we inter- encounter some friction, anytime somebody uh, disagrees with us, uh, we're, we're moving on down the road. We're, we're changing, like we're changing channels on the TV. Don't like that show? Flick. <laughs> Don't like that church? Click. Don't like that person? Click. I told my wife the other day about leadership. I said, honey, everybody loves you until you tell them no. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We, we don't value the voice of a godly mentor in our lives. 
But throughout the Bible, we can see there is a pattern that the people who did things for God usually had somebody that they trusted that they could receive words of sometimes encouragement, sometimes correction. Uh, They would tell you the truth when they needed to tell you the truth. They could be firm with you when they needed to be firm with you. We can see a pattern of that over and over again in the Word of God. And here we have Ruth who is humble enough to heed the voice of her mother-in-law as that mentor in her life. She listens. Look at verse 3. Let's look at some advice that Naomi gives her. Verse 3, real practical here. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Listen, church, uh, Ruth is a single lady who wants and needs a husband, especially in this culture. It was really really difficult for a woman to, to make it on her own in this culture. So Naomi says, honey... Uh, I love you, but, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we need to talk about your hygiene. <laughs> that's, that's what she says. She says, Ruth, I want you to take a bath. I want you to put on some perfume, and I want you to put on your nicest dress. Now, as I'm reading this and just, you know, using the gift of imagination a little bit, number one, my heart goes out to Ruth because Ruth, she doesn't have a lot. Right, And even in this time, things like bathing were, were a luxury. Uh, some of the, 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 the theologians that I follow and listen to, they, they say that you might have had a bath once a year. Yeah. And what would happen is, is the, the level of seniority in the family is everyone shared the same bath water. And so, it, you know, the dad might get to go first. Someone say yuck. And, and then the wife would get to go, and then the oldest child would get to It's all in the same water. You know the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? This is where this comes from, because by the time you got to the baby, the water was so dark you couldn't see. Hey, is there a kid in there? I don't know. So my, my heart goes out to Ruth. She doesn't have the luxuries that we have. And even her nice dress is probably not a real nice dress. And she probably doesn't have, you know, the, the latest and greatest designer fragrance to, to put on. And so I, I feel for her. But I think what Naomi is really saying is, is, hey, do your best with what you've been given. Pastor, are you saying that in order to walk in the will of God, I need to smell good? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's the New Living Translation. <laughs> hey, we've said it for two weeks. We're saying it again today. God will often reveal his will to us one person at a time. And God is about to do that with Ruth as she interacts with this man named Boaz. But first, her mentor, Naomi, says, Ruth, do your best with what you have. And someone right away, they'll say, hey, hey but doesn't... Doesn't the Bible say that God doesn't look at the outward appearance? He looks at the heart. Oh, yeah, it says that. But Boaz ain't God. Boaz is a man. And he's going to do a little looking at the outward appearance. Hey, does anyone know what kind of man Boaz was before he met Ruth? Ruth. <laughs> I've been waiting three weeks for that joke. And it just spread like it was. We're good looking, but we're not quick. I'll be honest with you. It just spread like he, Steve, knew it, and it's just like it just very little, very little. 
Took about 30 seconds for the lady over there to go. <laughs> All right, God bless you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Boaz is a man, and when he sees Ruth, he's going to look at what she's wearing. He's going to see how she keeps herself, and he's going to notice how she smells. That's just the reality of life. Ladies, don't send me an angry email. And men, this applies to you too. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. Don't walk around looking like an unmade bed. We don't have to be supermodels, but we ought to do the best we have with what we have. I don't need, think we need to be vain people obsessed with outward appearances, but we do need to recognize that the way we present ourselves with other people makes a difference. And sometimes a spiritual mentor will tell you things that will hurt your feelings. Here's the deal about a spiritual mentor. A spiritual mentor is not a cheerleader. Spiritual mentor is more of a coach. And so if God puts someone in your life that's that voice for you, don't be expecting them to wake you up every morning with a text that says how awesome you are. Our, 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 I need to move on. <laughs> They're going to be someone who's strong enough to speak truth to you. A good spiritual mentor will do a couple of things. Good spiritual mentor to help you see your blind spots. We've all got blind spots, all of us, including me. We've got blind spots. There's things that we just don't see about us. And a good spiritual mentor will help you see those things. They'll help you discern your own motives. Sometimes we, we think we're, we're trying to do something out of a pure motive, but we're not. And if we've got that person that we've humbled ourselves before, they'll help us question our motives and discern what's really driving us. They'll pray for you. They'll ask you tough questions. They'll challenge your emotions. I'm telling you, I've told you stories before that sometimes my emotions just go crazy. And, and I'll call, usually Pastor Robert's one of my good mentors, and I'll call him and I'll say, Pastor Robert, you won't believe what this person said to me and what they did to me and how they looked at me and all this stuff. And, and, and you know, he just lets me go, he lets me go, and then he'll just, he'll just hit me with something right between the eyes. Just say, Dave, snap out of it. You're being emotional right now. Get over it. You're magnifying this thing. You're making a big deal out of something that's really, really small. And they'll disciple you with Scripture. They'll, they'll take you to the Word of God, and they'll help you find truth in the Word of God and help you uh, get planted there in Scripture. So if you don't have a spiritual mentor, I encourage you to pray and ask God for that type of relationship in your life. But here's the catch. Be humble enough to hear and receive what they say. Sometimes people say, hey, I'd like you to be my mentor, but they don't listen to anything you say. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> right? You got you to be humble enough that if, if God has placed a good, solid Christian voice in your life like that, that you hear what they have to say. Verse 5, and she, Ruth, said to her, Naomi, all that you say to me, I will do. She says, I'm not going to buck you. I'm not going to rebel against you. I'm going I'm to listen to you. See, some of us have no one. That can speak into our lives. No one. We don't allow anybody to speak into our lives. And, and, and now what we end up doing is, is we end up grasping at the will of God. We can't figure out why God has put us here and what he's called us to do. Because we've got no one that can be that voice in our lives. Again, there's not a lot that Ruth gets to decide about her life. But she is a woman of character. And we see it through her humility here Heeding the voice of her mother-in-law. Now let's go back to verse 3 again. Naomi has some more voice or some more advice. She says, but do not make yourself known to the man 
until he is finished eating and drinking. This may be some of the wisest advice I've ever read in the, in the Holy Word of God. Ladies, don't interrupt a man while he's having dinner. That's, can you imagine the people listening on the radio right now? They're, I mean, they're starting to type in emails right now. It's in the Bible. I didn't say it. You know what she's saying? She's saying, hey, hey, Ruth, I want you to make yourself known to him. But I don't want you to be pushy. I don't want you to be pushy. We all have people in our lives that when they walk in the room, they want to make sure everyone knows they have walked in the room. Like everything is about them. They could go to a wedding. It's not their wedding, but somehow the event is about them. Y'all, they, I know some folks who go to a funeral and they make it about them. It ain't about you. But there are people like that. When a person has to make everything about them, that is a character issue that needs growth. Scripture says that a man's gift will make room for him. God will open the doors he wants to open for you. One of the things I had to learn in my 20s was that God had a plan for me. Therefore, I didn't have to prove my potential by being pushy. I simply needed to walk through the doors that God opened for me when he opened them. Some of us struggle in the workplace. We struggle in our relationships because everything has to always be about us. And we try to push our way into things. And y'all, people just don't like that. Relax. Be secure in knowing that God has a will for you. And if God has a will for you, ain't nobody can change that. Therefore, you don't have to compete with anybody. You just have to simply walk with Jesus. When you get that truth down deep on the inside of you, it takes insecurity away. It takes jealousy away. It takes competition away. No, I don't have to compete with my brother. My brother is a compliment to me. I'm just going to keep on walking with Jesus. God's got a plan and a purpose for me, and nobody else has to approve it. Nobody else has to vote on it. He's God all by himself. He already decided my steps. All I got to do is put my arms around Jesus and walk with him. Somebody said that success is simply when preparation meets opportunity. I truly believe that. When preparation, that's your job, meets opportunity, that's God's job. When those two things collide, that is the measure of success in our lives. Some of us have had doors close in our face because we tried too hard to impress people. We try to climb a ladder of success using the same methods that the world teaches. But listen, in the kingdom of God, we don't climb ladders. We wash feet. The kingdom of God, we don't climb ladders. We serve. We model our servant king, Jesus. That's how we lead, by serving others. And that's exactly what Ruth does. She serves her mother-in-law, Naomi, and God makes sure that Boaz sees her character. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according all uh, that her mother-in-law had instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, how many people sleep with your feet uncovered? How many sleep with one foot uncovered? That's the godly thing to do. Yes, it's a one-footer. One, one if you're a two-footer, I don't understand you. My wife, she sleeps on socks, sometimes double socks, and the covers tucked in under the bed. I, she tries to do that when she makes the bed on my side, tucks the cover in. I said, what are you trying to do? Kill me? Trap me? 
What if I need to get out of here in a hurry in the middle of the night? Get a cramp or something. Here I am stuck in that bed. I can't get out. What's wrong with you? You need to have easy access to the floor, one foot out at all times. How can I get an amen in here? Trying to help somebody this morning. (laughs) There's joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Verse 8, now it happened at midnight that a man was startled and turned himself. And there a a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you're a close relative. And then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. Watch this now. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz says, the reason you have caught my eye is because of your character, your virtue. God has taken this girl who started with nothing but pain and loss and tragedy and walked her step by step into his will because of her virtue. If you and I want to walk in the will of God, we've got to be people of high character. Verse 12, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I'll perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Now, some people have tried to paint a picture of a romantic encounter here between Ruth and Boaz. Or see it as as Ruth throwing herself at Boaz. But that's not what's taking place here at all. Throughout the story, we see the character of Ruth. He calls her this virtuous woman. So she's not making a pass at Boaz, but she is making herself available to him. Now, the book of Ruth certainly is a love story. It's the hallmark movie of the Old Testament. But it's also a type and a shadow of the love that God has for us, his people. How? Let's think about it. Ruth was born into a desperate situation, a woman that didn't know God and could barely help herself living in poverty. You and I, we were born into a desperate situation called sin. We were separated from God. We were powerless to save ourselves. We were living in spiritual poverty. Ruth needed a Boaz, a kinsman redeemer who would pay a price for her that she couldn't pay and give her a hope and a future. You and I, every one of us, we needed a savior, a redeemer who would pay the price for our sin and give us a hope and a future. Her redeemer was Boaz, but our redeemer is King Jesus. It's a beautiful book. So as Ruth lays down at the feet of Boaz and makes herself available, I see this beautiful picture of you and I simply laying ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and making ourselves available to him. Think of the New Testament, and there's Mary and Martha, and Martha's the one serving and running around like chicken with her head cut off and being all busy and stuff. And there was her sister Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when Martha said, hey, Jesus, would you yell at Mary and tell her to help me with the the food and the dinner? And, And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 Martha. Mary has actually chosen the greater thing. One of the greatest things you and I can do To find and discover, discern and walk in the will of God for our lives is simply 
to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Make ourselves available. Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch this now. And then you will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we make ourselves available to God, he then begins to reveal his will to us. Nothing in this series is rocket science. It's all incredibly practical. Got to be people of high character. Got to be people who just make ourselves available to God and say, God, however you want to use me, use me. I need some help, a little illustration. I'm going to ask Daniel to come, Cameron, Jason. My son, David, Brandon Hutzel, if he's still here, would you all just come up? There is a misconception about the will of God. And many people believe that it is only achieved when you reach a certain destination. So let's see here what we can do. I'm going to put this here. Would you all give us just a minute? <laughs> okay, we're going to put this here. Um, let's see. Daniel, would you stand over there? Just be right in the light there. Next, let's go Cameron. Would you stand by Daniel? Uh, let's see. Jason, would you stand by Cameron? And then D3. And then Brandon, you stand right here. Okay? Now, again, many people have a misconception about walking in the will of God. And they think... That the will of God is a destination. And that when one day when I get to here, whatever here is, you know, X mark, marks the spot, then I'll be in the will of God. That's what they think. But the will of God is not a destination. The will of God is a journey. And in this journey, our character and our calling travel and grow together okay so you could be in the will of God right now and maybe not even realize it I'm going to show you an illustration so God's will for my life was to one day stand here and and be a pastor that was that was God's will for my life I had no idea that was God's will for my life so for many years I was just doing my own thing and I was just over here following my own hopes and dreams and goals and plans and, you know, walking through life, bumping into stuff. That's, that's how I spent my life. But one day God began a person at a time to start drawing me toward his will for my life. And I, I said, God will open a door for you and you walk through that door. And one of the first doors he opened was for me to do at a church what Daniel does at our church was sound man. So that was my first job, 1995, uh, as a volunteer, okay? Didn't make the big bucks like you are, all right? Uh, <laughs> a guy was starting a church, and he said, hey, I know you don't go to church. I know you're not interested in church. He said, but I just need someone to run my soundboard, and if you could just come run my soundboard for just the first service, that'd be awesome. Just help me get going. And I said, you know what? I, okay, I could do that. I was a musician. I could, I could run your sound. So I came. So that was, that was my first job. So 
that's first service at that church. Well, I kind of liked it. God was drawing me. So the next week, I was back again. Next week, I was back again. Next week, I was back again. And so little by little, God began to open the doors. The next door is your job. Facilities manager. Cleaning toilets. Okay? And so, uh, why are you laughing? So anyway, that, that, was the, that was the job. And youth. Okay? Again, I had no idea that one day I was supposed to be a pastor of a church. As doors opened, I was just being faithful. I was just following the mentorship in my life. I was following that wisdom that God gave me through other people. I was following that counsel, all that sort of stuff. And so I was doing your job, and I did that for a number of times, you know, a number of uh, seasons, I guess we would say. And then season chain, next thing I know, they said, hey, we need a music director. Could you do that? And uh, I said, well, okay. So I was doing your job and your job, and now I got your job. It was a much smaller church, all right? These guys aren't lazy, all right? So that was, that was the next season of my life. Go on and on. Next thing you know, they started doing media ministry. So we're doing a radio show, satellite radio and all this stuff, uh, shortwave radio. I need you to produce that. I need you to make CDs and, and cassettes. How many remember cassettes <laughs> back in the day? Look at the old people. So anyway, so I was, I was, doing, I was doing your job. And then season changed, and the next thing you know, it's just I just need a right-hand man. And whatever you need, hey, can you just help manage this? Can you help plan this event? Can you do that? Yeah, I, I can do your job, okay? Now, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see. Was I any less in the will of God doing Daniel's job than I am over here right now? No. No, I was not. Was I any less in the will of God doing Cameron's job than I am right now? No. For that season of my life, what Cameron is doing now was the will of God for me. And some of us are so confused about God's will. Some of us are so frustrated. Some of us are, are down on ourselves and we feel like we're not doing what God has called us to do. But here's what I want you to understand. God is a God of seasons. And you'll notice that these guys are not stacked on top of each other. I thought about doing it, but I thought there's no way we could pull it off. But in the kingdom of God, we don't climb ladders. We wash feet. So this is not, a, Daniel's job was not a stepping stone for me. And then I moved on to Cameron's and Jason's. That's not a stepping stone. What is this? It's a journey. It's a walk in which our character and our calling walk together. And in every season that I've been in until I got here, this is all a part of God's will for me. Would you thank these guys for their service to our church? Thank you. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back on your life. Okay, because so it's not about me. This is about our walk with God. I want you to think about back in your life and I want you to think about some of the seasons that God has walked you through so many of us I think are concerned that we are going to miss the will of God like we miss a turn on vacation church you don't miss the will of God like that 
God is too awesome to, to allow you to, oops, I accidentally missed the will of God for my life. It doesn't work that way. Now, can we be disobedient and get out of the will of God? Yes, we can. But even in our disobedience, God is merciful. He'll allow us to be miserable. He'll allow us to be empty. He'll shut doors in our face. I mean, God will, he'll allow some tough stuff in our life to get our attention, to get us back to journeying, walking with him. Some folks would say, well, if it it almost sounds like you're saying that I could be in the will of God right now and not even realize it. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Then why do I feel unsatisfied? Why do I feel like maybe I'm wasting my life and I I don't feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. There could be some unsurrendered areas in our lives. God asked me for an area of my life several years ago. Clearly, I remember where I was when he asked for it. Do you know how dumb I am? Really dumb. Dumb enough not to say no with my words, but to say no with my actions. And even though I, the king of the universe says, Dave, can I have that? I decided to hold on to it <laughs> for years. Even after I clearly knew that God wanted me to lay it at his feet. That's dumb. That thing I've held on to has caused me lots of problems, trouble, stress. Finally, I've been able to lay it at his feet. And that that thing that was causing me so much frustration is now it's gone. And I think, how... Craig, why did it take me five years? So dumb. Sometimes when we feel like we're out of the will of God, it's not that we need to move to another state or work another job or anything like that. It's it's we've got areas of our lives we have not surrendered. And I just, here's what I just want to say to you today. If God is asking you for an area of your life to give to him, something maybe to give up, do it. Do it. There is such joy and such peace and such satisfaction on the other side of surrender. Another reason I found that some of us feel like we're outside of the will of God is because we're not serving anyone with our lives. I tell you, nothing will dry you up spiritually faster than selfishness. When we're not serving people, and I'm not, this is not a plug because we need more people in the nursery. But we could use some extra hands in the nursery. (laughs) But I'm saying whether it's here or whether it's in our community, you know, volunteering with one of the great organizations we have in our community, uh, coaching Little League or or soccer or or getting out there and volunteering somewhere. If, If you're not serving people, it goes against your spiritual DNA of being a Christ follower. And it will dry you up. 
You have to find someone to serve. Often, it's not what we do from 9 to 5 that frustrates us. It's what we do from 5 to 9 in the evening that frustrates us. And if you just plop yourself down, putting a rear end in a recliner, and never getting up from that TV, you will be unsatisfied. Because God has put you on this planet to serve people. Another reason that some of us feel like we're out of the will of God is is because we're just not enjoying our current season. Do do you know, ladies, if God has called you to be a stay-at-home mom, do you know you will never be anything better than a mom? If that's what he's called you to do, you're never going to be satisfied doing anything else. I don't care if you have a parking lot, a corner, a corner office, you make a hundred grand a year. If God's not called you to do that, then, then you're not going to be satisfied until you do what he's called you to do. If, if, if God has called you to work with your hands or be a, a plumber or an electrician or a, a mechanic or, or whatever it is, Colossians 3 says, whatever you find to do, do it with all of your heart knowing that you're doing it for the Lord. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher but you understand, not everybody could be a preacher. We would have a thousand people every Sunday fighting for a microphone. God needs us to do what He's equipped us to do in this community and in our individual lives. And the only sense of satisfaction that you're going to have or I'm going to have is when we embrace the season that we're in and begin looking for the hand of God. How did she find the will of God? She's just going out into a field looking for scraps or something to eat had no idea that God was directing her steps. Our culture tells us we need to be flashy, we need to be famous, but God just says, no, no, you just need to be faithful. Be faithful to do what I've called you to do in this season of your life. Now, for some of us, maybe he is asking us to make ourselves available in a way we've never made ourselves available before. Maybe some of us, he is asking us to move. Maybe some of us, he's asking us to change your career. Move to another city, another state. I don't know. I don't think he's doing that with 100 people, but he might be doing that with two. And that's where we learn through our prayer series to make make our ears in tune with the Spirit of God that he could speak to us and guide and direct our steps. Just a few reflection questions as we close today just want you to think about how, how's your character? Is there anyone that can speak into your life? Do you have a spiritual mentor? Have you humbled yourself and allowed someone to be that voice that can sometimes challenge you, sometimes question your motives or your emotions? Do you have anyone like that? If you don't, pray and ask God to give you someone like that. Have you made yourself available to God? Are you serving in any way? Again, it could be here in the church, but there are a hundred great organizations and places that you can get plugged in and and serve this, this community. Where are you serving? Who are you serving? How have you found to take the hands that God gave you and put them to something that makes this world a better place? Would you stand with us? And let's just... Take a minute or two and think about those questions as we pray. Our Father, we love you today. You're good. You're awesome. The first thing I want to pray about, God, is 
For those in this room who may not know you as Redeemer, this entire story of of Ruth is going to culminate next week in the fact that she has found her Redeemer. If you're here today or you're listening online, on the radio, and you haven't found your Redeemer, I want you to tell you, your Redeemer is mine as well. His name is Jesus. For God so loved you that he sent his son to live on this earth, go to a cross to be the sacrifice for my sin and your sin, to redeem our lives. The word means to buy back, to buy us out of the slavery of sin. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never received his sacrifice as your own, you've never received the forgiveness of sin and put your faith in the Son of God, I invite you to do that today. To say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I need to start over. I need to begin again. I want to be born again. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with you and know you. Friend, saying yes to Jesus is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. Father, for all of us, we are confronted with the fact that we are stewards of this life, very short life. God, we want to use it for your glory. We don't want to waste it. We want to be your hands and your feet, your body here on this earth. We want to know your will for our lives and we want to walk in it. Anything we need to lay down today at the feet of Jesus, Lord, would you help us do that? Would you reveal what needs to be revealed? Give us the strength to surrender knowing that joy and satisfaction and peace and contentment and fulfillment, they're all right there in the center of your will. Take us, your church, and use us for your glory. Right there where you are, can you just pray and say, God, I'm available. I'm making myself available. God, however you want to use me. God, if there needs to be a season change in my life, show it to me. If a door needs to be shut, shut it. If another door needs to be open, open it, God. Take me and use me for your glory. We give you thanks and praise today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.